Broadcasting to New York City, Los Angeles, Chicago, Sydney, London, and around the world, this is Trumpet Radio Live. Thanks for joining us here on Trumpet Radio Live, 101.3 KPCG, and we're online at kpcg.fm. We have a live link at thetrumpet.com as well. Coming up on this weekend edition, lots of uh, very interesting stories to look at, including uh, violence happening in the Middle East, in Israel, lots of protests over there. Uh, We've got the latest uh, details about that and plenty of other stories to take a look at today. That's all coming up on this weekend edition of Trumper Radio Live here on 101.3 KPCG. Trumpet Radio Live. Thanks for joining us here on Trumpet Radio Live. We're on 101.3 KPCG, and we're also online at kpcg.fm. We have a live link at thetrumpet.com. And if you'd like to follow us on Twitter, you can do that at kpcgfm. And if you'd like to email us, you can send those emails to comments at kpcg.fm. We're happy to look at those. Uh, Dwight Falk with you here today, and Gino Chi joining us again. Hello, how are you? Pretty good. I'm pretty excited again to be here. Yeah, it's exciting to have you in. Uh, if you missed yesterday's program, Gino's a uh, uh, college student here at Herbert W. Armstrong College, uh, originally from the Philippines, and is uh, graduating pretty soon, and is going to be working full-time. So he does a lot of video work and uh, some radio work, too. So we'll be hearing more of uh, Gino as time goes along. And uh, a lot happening in the uh, world to take a look at. Lots of news stories, including this uh, first one here. It's from the uh, Times of Israel. You've probably seen this if you've looked at your headlines today. Uh, Lots of uh, protesting and uh, rioting going on uh, over there. And uh, here's uh, just some audio of uh, some of the events going on. So as you can hear there, some of the shooting and the protesting and the yelling, and that's just the typical situation that occurs there in uh, in Israel uh, whenever there's protesting. It says uh, seven Gazans uh, killed so far, and of course this um, this number I'm sure will jump around over the weekend, and then 500 wounded amid a massive border protest. So this is a pretty big deal over there. I guess they've been planning this for a while. And uh, the write-up says this. This is from the Times of Israel. The Israel Defense Forces estimate that 17,000 Palestinians were taking part in uh, what they call the March of Return, demonstrations along the Gaza border, focused at five main protest sites where rioters threw petrol bombs and stones at troops and burned tires. So, you know, anybody that's watched protests over the years, and you see these in the news, they always do the same basic thing, light tires on fire and and uh, throw but you know what it always makes me think is that what would they do if they had more weapons you know that would be much more violent yeah it'd be much more violent than just tires and whatever they can find on the streets and lots of times you know the media would be quick to focus on say the the Palestinians that are killed but at the same time if they had had the weapons how many Israelis would be killed I mean it'd be quite a few yeah it's quite sad because the Israelis obviously are just protecting their own land and then you see in the news there's 
oh, seven Yazidis killed, and then no no talks about the Israeli soldiers who were just fighting for their country. You have to do something to kind of push back this mob. And and again, Israel really went above and beyond to warn people. They they dropped leaflets and said, "Look, don't don't get up close to the security fence." I mean, they're giving them space to protest, but they said you can't get up by the security fence. And of course, when they try to breach it, then there's problems. Uh, the main sites for protests in Gaza were Rafah and uh, a few other places that uh, my uh, pronunciations wouldn't be good <laughs> enough at. So, but uh, in that area, I think we get the idea. Mm-hmm. Uh, the army said it held the Hamas terror group responsible for any violence along the Gaza security fence during the protests and for the consequences of it. And uh, they make that statement, and I think it's a very good one to make. However, the media, as as you said, they're very quick to, to point out how many, say, Palestinians would get killed. But again, if you're sitting there as or standing there as an Israeli soldier and they're constantly throwing rocks and petrol bombs, and 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 you know being more and more aggressive eventually it does have to be beat back in some way and then you know what happens then they have all the funerals and the crying and the right. all of this so and you were Gino you were just over there in Israel oh what was it, a month or two ago yeah it was 2 months ago yeah. 2 months ago and and uh was that your first time in the area yeah it was my first time in the area i was there for about 2 or 3 weeks right you were hoping to stay longer, but then had to come mm-hmm. back with some some issues, visa issues, I guess. But uh, what was your experience like just being in the city? Uh, I mean, obviously you wouldn't see something like this mm-hmm. every day, but uh, what was your sense of uh, of being in Jerusalem? I was just very amazed at how beautiful the city is, just the the scenery of Jerusalem. But there is a false sense of security once you're in Jerusalem. When I was there for for two weeks. Um, it didn't seem like the country was in a state of uh, like war mm-hmm. or someone was protesting. It, it was just like a normal city. It's quiet. It's peaceful. And and Jerusalem being kind of like a holy city kind of adds to that. It's like, oh, I'm going to be safe here. And I've actually asked a couple of Jews uh, in the airplane what they thought about the Palestinians and the conflict that they face. And a lot of them say, Oh yeah, it's fine. I mean, we're all good. It's it's gonna be peaceful. Uh-huh. So there is a false sense of security there, but there's also places that you don't want to go to. So like any other city, we were talking about Chicago and yeah. other p- cities that there's just areas you don't want to go to go to. But overall, it seems like the normal citizen is just they're not aware of the the dangers or even maybe just ignoring it. Maybe right. Yeah, and I, Mr. Flurry gave a Key of David program uh, years ago already talking. He had this really great quote in there about how the Israeli people were kind of, were sick of fighting. They were sick of the battles. And so you could see where it'd be easy to kind of just if, ignore it on some level. But but they are really, you know, they have enemies all around them there. And, uh, and but uh, you also mentioned, of course, that it's a, it's a holy city for many religions. And uh, with, uh, you know, uh, Passover and, and mm-hmm. uh, the spring uh, festivals that are coming up, there are a lot of different religions that are there. And even even uh, uh, just reading some of the details of this, this protest and some of this violence going on, you have all kinds of people from all over the world that are there, you know, for religious uh, reasons. And, uh, you know, that didn't keep them away. So... Uh, uh, it is interesting the the protesting. They say the first protest kicked off on uh, today, 
uh, when Palestinians worldwide mark Land Day, which I hadn't, I didn't realize this was considered mm-hmm. Land Day, <laughs> uh, which commemorates the Israeli government's, uh, I guess, taking of Arab-owned land as they would view it, in the Galilee on uh, March 30th, 1976, and ensuing demonstrations in which six Arab Israelis were killed. It is also, of course, uh, the beginning of uh, Passover and so forth. So, it, you know, there's refugees, I guess, as they would view themselves, that were in that area and then through wars and other things were moved out. And so I guess they want to be able to come back but not not just those that actually had to be had to leave the area according to them anyway you'd have to look at some of that history but there's only a few thousand of those people but when you look at the actual now like how many offspring they've had now it's in the millions wow. and so they all are saying hey we, we want to come back and we want to live there in uh, Jerusalem and in Israel and uh of course as uh, anybody knows if that happened Israel wouldn't exist anymore as a as a state because they'd be overrun Right. If you give more land, then there would be no Israel left. <laughs> yeah. They're dealing with a really tough situation uh, there in the Middle East and have enemies all around. And uh, they do not want—the Palestinians don't want peace. Iran doesn't mm-hmm. want peace. And, again, I was just thinking, well, what if it wasn't just rocks anymore? You know, what if they had more weapons? If they had superior firepower to Israel—and I think this is just good to think about— because there is sort of this narrative in the media that, you know, Israel's the bad guy and they're oppressing people. Look, if if it was the other way around where the Palestinians had the superior firepower, I don't think Israel would last a day. Yeah. They would wipe them out. I doubt it. It's it's uh, so the Israel does show a lot of restraint in these situations. But anyway, it's interesting. It's an ongoing situation. Of course, we have uh Herbert W. Armstrong College students over there finishing up an archaeological dig, and Trumpet Daily Radio Show host uh, Stephen Fleury's over there, and a few others. So uh, we have people right there in the hotbed of it all. You you could have been right in the midst of this, you know. <laughs> yeah, but I'm still here, so. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but uh, it's neat that you got to go for a few mm-hmm. weeks and, and see it because it's a uh, it's a great experience, obviously. And uh, so, and then too, just as a side note, there was a trumpet brief a few weeks back about the. Um, coins that were found during that archaeological dig and they were digging in a cave there and that's all over the trumpet.com mm-hmm. if, you, if you haven't seen that but uh and you got to go down and work right. in that cave as well right yeah i actually worked in the cave for the two weeks i was there and dr mazar the archaeologist uh in charge of the dig always says like this is such a special cave this is an untouched cave that hopefully we can find first temple uh period artifacts and uh yeah that's where they found those 2000 year old coins and it's amazing because they had inscription on uh the coins themselves saying this is year 1 2 3 4 oh, wow. of the rebellion so you could easily trace uh when it was uh, made and it, there's evidence that the Jews were there uh, archaeological evidence so it's very exciting that our college is a part of it and we're funding it too so that's amazing yeah the cave look i mean the cave looked amazing, and whenever I think uh, those of us that are not archaeologists think yeah. about archaeology, we think about you know, something like that, like being in a cave or <laughs> finding something, and and it's not always that way, but in this case it was, so I thought that was kind of neat just mm-hmm. to, to find this uh, cave, and it was it looked like it was pretty decent size. Um, people could stand up in it, right, and move around pretty well. Yeah, it's a pretty decent size cave. Um, when I went there, 
to now, I think they've even dug, uh, based on the pictures, I think five feet down mm-hmm. below. So they've done a lot of work in that cave. It's a pretty massive cave, actually, with a lot of um, shafts and cisterns. It's a pretty, a very interesting cave. Wow. Uh, yeah, and that's kind of slow-going work because you have to be careful to not not uh, damage something that would be of value when you're right. digging. And uh, when when you were digging, did you come across anything personally that like, hey, what is this? Or was it just more like move the dirt and we'll look later? Yeah, uh, Dr. Mazar, before starting the dig, she said, I know Herbert W. Armstrong College students are hard workers, but I need you to slow down and look at uh, the things you're breaking because, you know, we're very excited. We want to work hard. We only have three months to do it. So that was our her admonition to us at the start. We did, you do find a lot of pottery um, as you dig pieces of, I don't know, clay, clay pots and all that such. So we just put it in a separate bucket um and look at it for a while but yeah common pottery is co- a common occurrence when you dig around yeah well it's interesting uh just looking at some of the finds that have been discovered over the years where you know really when you look at when something was dug up like some of the 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 bula or those clay seal mm-hmm. impressions they were found years ago and then they have to go through sort of this process so even though the students this time found some coins which is great you know, you do think, well, I wonder what else maybe is there. It takes some time to, to verify everything and find everything. So who knows? It could have been more even <laughs> still. So it takes time. It's a, it's a real scientific process. Yeah, I know the the Isaiah seal that we found uh, was in a dig back in 2009, I believe. Mm. But hopefully it doesn't take that long. Hopefully we'll find it right away and we can start another one. <laughs> yeah, everybody... Uh, probably has the Indiana Jones <laughs> movies in their minds where you find the amazing thing right away mm-hmm. and it's right there. But uh, sometimes it takes more more uh, mm-hmm. digging and research and so forth. Uh, so a inter- lot, lot happening, always a lot happening there in Jerusalem. So uh, this uh, next story here is back in the United States. This is uh, from uh, Sacramento. Their protests uh, are continuing there. The uh, protesters once again uh, block streets in downtown Sacramento. That was on Thursday, calling for justice following the police shooting of an unarmed uh, black man. Uh, of course, he was involved in some crimes mm-hmm. at the time. So, uh, but twenty-two-year-old uh, Clark Stephon Clark was killed there. And of course, I think we know about that history. Uh, he was breaking car windows at the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, video of the nighttime incident was released by police. So every time they. You know, they release some of the video, then people get more stirred up, and then uh, I believe they're going to try to release the autopsy results as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, during Thursday's demonstration, a protest organizer said they would not disrupt the uh, Sacramento Kings basketball game this time, as they did twice before, um, because uh, Clark's family asked them to stop blocking fans. So that was a nice request. Mm-hmm. Uh, security was heavy outside. They had the uh, funeral, the memorial service, uh, police standing in riot gear, and uh, uh, so people were coming and going. And um, the protests uh, have remained mostly peaceful so far, and they've been confined mostly downtown. So there's, there's uh, uh, I think, uh, oh, I can't think of what his name is now, uh, Al Sharpton. He came mm-hmm. there, and he did the uh, memorial service. And, of course, anytime <laughs> there's something going on like like this where it's sort of in the news, it seems like they show up or he shows up. Mm-hmm. And, and uh, you know, uh, they had protests, and, People were yelling for uh, justice and different things, but but again, you know, it's it's very emotional, and uh, 
the facts of the case, I thought, were brought out very well in a recent trumpet brief, just showing that, that uh, you know, the police aren't, the bad guys are made out to be. And uh, there was a lot going on in that case as far as uh, the, um, again, the, the individual that was shot. I mean, he had a really long criminal record. So, but once once it, the emotion gets going, then people just kind of fall back into that. And uh, the video I saw, a lot of the protesters were holding signs that harken back to other cases, right. like this is I can't breathe mm. or some of these other things where the uh, the catchphrase or the emotion of it still is very real and exists. But when you go back and look at the actual cases, they've been a lot of them have been debunked to where the officers did what they were supposed to do. But yet the, the emotion of those past cases lives on. Right. If you just look at the facts and study it without your emotion, I know it's probably hard for for a lot of us, but it shows that it probably shows that it was the right thing to do. And, uh, it shows that it's just, the media is just giving us an, another story, uh, apart from the facts that is clearly there. Yeah. The, that trumpet brief pointed out how the, the, the odds of being uh, shot as an unarmed, uh, black man, mm-hmm. uh, you have a greater chance of getting struck by lightning. <laughs> and in, even in these protests in Sacramento, this is, I think, the second occurrence like this in about two years. Mm-hmm. So it's there, but but then the protests are saying they're out there saying the police need to stop killing us. Two in two two years, right? Out of all the like, say the just think about all the situations the officers have to encounter on a daily basis: um, domestic disputes, mm-hmm. uh, traffic stops, which can turn bad, drugs, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. I mean, they have to deal with all these things. There's only been two that have been shot. And killed in two years to where people were a little bit uh, up in arms about it. I mean, that's <laughs> it, it's it's not it's not like the protesters are saying like they're just being gunned down in the streets. But that's the narrative that the media is putting out there. Right. It's like obedience to the law uh, didn't kill anyone. There's obviously a reason why uh, the officers deemed it necessary to pull that gun. Uh, whatever happened to like don't run or else or else I'll shoot you or in the same. Uh, story previously they sent out those pamphlets don't protest or else there's going to be force Mm -hmm. and they ignore it and then afterwards they say that the police or the the people in authority are the one in wrong which is really ridiculous yeah and even in the uh this uh, memorial service people were were emotional which is understandable but uh one of them made the comment that you know they're never going to see their loved one again and I thought, well, that's uh, that's not right. I mean, yes, you will. Uh, <laughs> what what is people talk about? Um, uh, well, there's various holidays that pop up this time of year, but uh, in any event, whatever people's beliefs are, there uh, they talk about a resurrection, right? Mm-hmm. A resurrection from the dead. Right. And so there there is. <laughs> it's not the end when when something happens. It's still difficult, of course, mm-hmm. but just shows that uh, uh, I don't know. Uh, the reality of believing in a re- the resurrection versus just sort of something to talk about in a religious sense. There's a, those are like two different things because you often hear people say, oh, I'll never see so-and-so again. But what about the resurrection, though? Because most people claim to believe in that. Right. There's a difference between saying something and actually believing something and 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 letting it change your life, actually. Mm-hmm. so And actually, yeah, believing it for real. Like mm-hmm. this is, you know, a, a real thing as opposed to just a nice thing to say. Uh, speaking of, you know, we talking about you have a greater chance of getting hit by lightning. Well, <laughs> there's a, there's a chance of getting hit by space debris this weekend. 
But before we uh, talk about that, we talked about it a little bit yesterday, but just, just so everyone knows and doesn't worry too much, the odds of being struck by space debris are 1 in 1.2 trillion. So um, pretty rare. But uh, the uh, out-of-control 9-ton Chinese space station, the Tiang, Tianyang 1, is due to crash into Earth on Sunday. Uh, and experts still don't know where it will hit. So they give a map, and uh, it pretty much could hit anywhere basically on the equator and then up into North America, uh, not maybe up into Canada, but even here in Oklahoma, we're kind of in the potential zone, but anywhere around the earth, basically on that ring. Uh, experts are still not sure where the satellite fragments are likely to land, but areas that could be hit include New York, Barcelona, and Rome. The The spacecraft's about the size of a school bus. Um uh, mm. It doesn't appear, well, they don't think it'll enter in one piece, like mm-hmm. it'll kind of burn up right. and break apart. But anyway, uh, that's that Chinese uh, spacecraft that was launched back in 2011. China still claims that it's fine and there's no problems, <laughs> but <laughs> nobody believes them. Yeah. Uh, the, the experts around the world say it's coming. And they, I think China said... Uh, yeah, maybe it could come to Earth sometime in the next few months. And everyone's like, no, it's going to be Sunday. <laughs> so China doesn't want to admit it. But anyway, this nine-ton Chinese space station is supposed to hit Sunday. Keep your eyes to the skies. Uh, but your chance of being hit are pretty rare, uh, one in 1.2 trillion. Yeah, I think I, I read a report in CNN about uh, the space station. And they were just warning that it's not going to be one of those meteor hitting the earth type movie scenario um the chinese meteorologist actually said it's going to be a shower Mm. like a show so uh, that should put people in in (laughs) relatively peaceful state of mind right because when you when you just read it kind of uh the headline you think like this bus is going (laughs) to smash into the earth and you think well that's not going to be good but it's going to break apart that's the the beauty of our atmosphere, the way God made it, things uh, don't enter uh, very easily. We have a protective uh, ring here, I guess, so that's nice. But anyway, uh, yeah, it'd be interesting to see if it falls, and uh, no one would want to be hit by it, but uh, <laughs> if you found part of it, it'd be kind of cool. Unfortunately, also, the uh, fuel that powers it is poisonous, so that could oh. uh, cause problems. So, yeah, yeah, you don't necessarily want to be around it too mm-hmm. much, But so that's uh, this weekend that might be falling to uh, Earth. Uh, here's an interesting story. There's a lot in the news about the Army uh, in the U.S. and I guess really in the West, the Western armies, just not, not being uh, up to snuff, as it were. Uh, Army moles tougher basic training for out-of-shape, undisciplined recruits. Um, they opened up their recruiting a while ago, and I know there's been some back and forth on this, but to people of all walks of life and all, uh, <laughs> all the, into all kinds of different things. And... Uh, then they found out that many of them are not fit and not able to serve. And uh, so they're trying to make things, uh, I guess, a little bit tougher to get people in better shape. Citing a disturbing trend of new soldiers lacking both proper discipline and physical fitness, you, uh, senior U.S. Army leaders are calling for a tougher and longer basic training program to prepare troops for combat over the next decade, uh, which probably is a good idea. However, if people are coming in out of shape uh, and not... Um, not disciplined mentally or physically or emotionally, uh, it's going to be quite a challenge. I mean, basic training, I think, has always been a real challenge. But, uh, you know, if people are kind of starting at ground zero and they're needing a complete overhaul, they're going to have a lot of a lot of tough work to do there in basic training. Right. 
um, if you think about going to the army, when I think about going to the army, I think to myself, oh, I need to work out for how many long years or something like that. But now there's just, like you said, just starting off from scratch and expecting to make it to the army. It's, it's very different now. Yeah. It's uh, uh, later in the write-up they were talking about how it, it used to be more of a focus years ago on push-ups, sit-ups, pull-ups, and running two miles. And they said, no, we need all this other stuff. I thought, well, boy, if people just did those things, they'd be fine. You know, if people just exercised, uh, they'd be fine. So they always, it seems like they're always trying to come up with some new way of doing things when re- in reality, just even doing the basic things. It's basic training, after <laughs> all, would have solved the problem. Uh, it says, while well, Secretary of Army Mark Esper didn't divulge any details of what an extended basic training uh, might look like, the Army has already floated the idea of adding two weeks to its 10-week program. Uh, redesigned basic training is expected to be implemented by early summer. So I don't know that any of our listeners are <laughs> going that direction, but you never know. Uh, the current basic training involves a three-stage process, the first of which is the red phase. Uh, sounds like it should be in Russia, but uh, this is com- comprising the first three weeks of training. It's where recruits begin to learn drills and ceremonies, the seven Army Corps values, unarmed combat, and first aid. Recruits are also introduced to standard-issue weapons like the M16 assault rifle and, and uh, some other weapons. In Phase 2, which is known as the White Phase, soldiers begin target practice with their rifles, become acquainted with other weapons like grenade launchers and machine guns, and the recruits also complete a timed obstacle course and learn to work alongside other soldiers. And then the final phase, which is the Blue Phase, the soldiers complete the Army Physical Fitness Test learn nighttime combat operations, and they go on a 10- and 15-kilometer field marches. Uh, what's the longest you've ever walked in one stretch? Walked? I don't know, but I did the marathon. That was, oh, I guess I walked, so yeah. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> you, you you didn't do the whole thing running? You had to slow uh, down a little bit? At, at, after the halfway point, maybe mile 15, I walked. It was just so painful. <laughs> I bet. Yeah, no, I'm not looking down at you at all. That's quite the... Uh, quite the jaunt and so how far what is that 20 21 23 miles something like that marathon i go by kilometers so it's 42 kilometers i believe and that's 26 miles okay wow yeah so that's that's quite a ways i uh one time the longest i've walked continuously was i think 10 miles uh roughly so not on purpose (laughs) um it was actually here uh lake hefner Mm. And uh, it was years ago, uh, my wife and I, we weren't married. We were dating. And we thought, you know, uh, it was a Sunday afternoon. We said, hey, let's take a walk around the lake. <laughs> but we didn't realize how far it was. Right. And so we were walking, but you keep, we kept looking back thinking like, well, we must be at least halfway. So you're not sure where, if you should go right. back or, and we weren't. And so it, it ended up being, yeah, I think it's about 10 miles around that thing, that lake. And uh, it's just walking, but still uh, it wears you out. So, and with that's not with carrying packs <laughs> or all the things these guys are doing. So anyway, uh, not easy marches there. Uh, after they pass all these tests and basic training, the recruits graduate from basic training and they move on to advanced individual training. So that's the way it is right now, but, uh, they need to improve it. They think the ultimate goal of the military is to strip a civilian of civilian status and put them in a military mindset. Mm-hmm. According to Mike Vulcan, he's an Iraq war veteran. And he says, so if you were to boil down the goal of basic training to its essence, it would be to conform. So I thought that was interesting because when you look at society in the U.S. today, uh, people don't want to conform to anything. They want to do whatever they want. So if they're not in the mindset of sort of conforming, uh, 
just in general, that's going to be a real shock when they go into military. All right, Mr. Joel Hilliker actually has an article on the trumpet. Uh, it's entitled Vanishing of the Man of War, I believe. And he says here, quote, whereas the old military set a standard and demanded everyone meet it and get out, uh, the new military sounds more like a flight attendant. Hmm. Join us and stick around. If you don't like something, let us know and we'll change it for you. And one formal drill, drill sergeant uh, actually complained about the new uh, training they give out now. He says, uh, you're not being a soldier. This is talking about that drill sh- sergeant. You're being a mama. Hmm. So he feels like he's being a mother in, rather than someone who's going to push this this man to the brink of, you know. <laughs> yeah, but, I mean, they, they try to break you down and then, then build you back up again. And uh, just in this uh, this age of um, uh, political correctness and so forth, I just wonder if they have to change what they're doing. Uh, you know, I don't. I mean, you see the movies. I guess that's the basic thing I have to go on is <laughs> they yell at you in boot camp <laughs> right. and so forth. And I had some family members in the military years ago, and uh, you know, so I know I've heard a little bit about that. But uh, I, you know, for mostly from what I've heard, basically, if you if you did your job, you you worked hard to improve. You know, you'd, I'm sure they'd yell at you a little bit, but you'd, you'd get along okay. But you had to conform, and you had to get with the program. And, and that's what I find interesting when you look at that write-up from Mr. Hilliker, and then you look at this write-up. If you were just to take what they're writing here in Fox uh, at face value, you'd think like, oh, okay, they're, they're, they're going to become even better soldiers. Right. But the reality is we're slipping. Mm. And now they realize we're slipping, so they're trying to implement a new program. But... Even just getting back to the basics of basic training and really doing them would probably solve a lot of problems. Yeah, just going back to hard work and making men into men and just working hard. It seems like it, it's connected to our our society today. The millennials maybe, um, they feel like they need to be, they're entitled to be treated right instead of just putting in the effort and conforming to the standards of the military uh, I've even heard about a story of how they do recruits now. They make videos and just make it nice and, hey, join the military. It's good for you type thing instead of, hey, join the military. It's 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 strong and for strong men type thing. Yeah. So it's changed a lot over the years. Yeah, for sure. And there's such a push against the quote-unquote toxic masculinity mm-hmm. in society, uh, which, of course, is, is a distortion. But still... You can't have a society that is so against men and then expect to have soldiers. The Bible, you know, talked about that in Isaiah, that we wouldn't have the man of war anymore, that we wouldn't have these uh, strong leaders. And, you know, yeah, you can run them through another two weeks or something. You can be their mom for another two weeks. <laughs> but uh, unless unless there's some really serious changes mm-hmm. in society, that the day of the, uh, you know, really top-notch soldier is probably gone. Not to say that there aren't some that would mm-hmm. come through and do that, but if we're just looking at the general trend. Uh, and that that's related to this next story, too. I mean, why are people in the condition to where they, they can't, you know, handle the military or anything like that? Well, a lot of it has to do with the diet people are growing up on. There's a new study out that says 76% of sports sponsorships are tied to junk food. So when you're, you know, you're a younger person, you like to watch professional sports, and they're going to try to sell you something. You know, your favorite, <laughs> your favorite sports star wants you to drink their drink and do this and do that. Well, a lot of it's it's bad. Uh, they say cheering on your favorite sports team and snacking on junk food often go hand in hand in the United States. 
but a new study sheds light on just how intertwined sports and unhealthy foods really are. The study published in the Journal of Pediatrics on Monday reveals that 76% of food products shown in ads promoting a sports organization sponsorship are unhealthy and that 52.4% of beverages shown in sports sponsorship ads are sugar-sweetened. So, yeah, I mean, I I guess I kind of grew up with the whole, you know, drink Gatorade. You want to be like Mike, be like Michael Jordan, but you look at what's in Gatorade and it's not good for you. Yeah, it's pretty much sugar water. I... I read an article about vitamin water. I, I haven't tried that yet before, but mm-hmm. from face value, you think, man, this drink is very healthy. It has these uh, vitamins that are in it. Right. But this study goes on to show it's just sugar water and less than a dollar worth of vitamins just wow. injected into it. Wow, that's amazing. <laughs> yeah, there, there's all kinds of different uh, ones I try to sell. And, and people are... I guess becoming a little more aware of some of the the sugar and that type of thing. So they're, they're trying to they're trying to uh, shift what they're selling. But there was a story a few weeks ago I, I saw where it's still the same companies are making the drinks. Mm-hmm. It's still basically Coke and Pepsi. Right. They just made something different, put a different label on, it, said here you go. But it's it may not be the exact same thing as their soda. But there's they say hey you like something healthy here you go. But it's still coming from the same companies. Uh, it says in this write-up, it says sponsorship was measured by instances in which a sports organization logo or name was thrown, or sorry, shown with an official company name, product, or logo in a commercial banner ad, YouTube video, or similar type of promotion. So they're only looking at things that were very directly tied to the sports organization, not not even commercials that were aired during the you know the game, but not directly related. So the numbers would actually be larger if they threw everything in there. The study focused on the top 10 sports organizations most frequently watched by children 2 to 17 years old, and uh, the researchers are concerned that such sponsorships could have a negative impact on children's food choices. Yes, I would be concerned (laughs) as well. (laughs) The researchers found that the NFL had the most food and beverage sponsors, and the organization uh, had the most youth viewership. The National Little League had the uh, third highest number of food and beverage sponsors. So people like to watch NFL football, uh, very popular, and uh, they have some promotions for like Play 60, I think it is, where kids go out and play for, mm-hmm. supposed to play for an hour, which I always laugh at because when I was a kid, no one had to tell me to play for an hour. <laughs> right. They had to tell me to come in, yeah. but uh, now they have to tell me to go outside. <laughs> and uh, but So they have some of those things, but at the same time, now you've got all these uh, uh, very unhealthy food choices being being advertised to the younger kids and the adults as well. Yeah, it says it could have a negative impact. It is going to have a negative impact because I just remember my childhood years too, not that long ago. Like you said, you watch sports stars and you want to eat, drink, and wear what they wear because that's just how we are as kids, you know. I remember uh, idolizing Kobe Bryant and so I would try to buy his shoes and (laughs) wear his uh, sleeve thinking that it'd make me a better shooter or you know if it's advertised there then chances are the kids are gonna be like oh i need to eat that i need to wear that yeah absolutely they're they're very uh very good at selling those products to people and they and a lot of those sports stars make most of their money on advertisements mm-hmm. they make far more than they make playing the sport but uh the researchers also found that among the beverages that the celebrities endorsed 71 percent were sugar sweetened drinks among the foods they endorsed, 80.8% were energy-dense and nutrient 
poor. Mm-hmm. So, you know, a lot of things to kind of get you amped up, sugar and so forth, but not a lot of nutrients in there. And I was thinking, yeah, I mean, when's the last time you saw a big sports star you know, promote carrots or <laughs> I, I don't know. I mean, you know, it it would almost seem like a joke if they came yeah. on and said, you really need to eat these carrots, kids. I can't see that anymore in this age. Like you said, in the military, why don't you just go back to the basics? You know, just drink your water and be hydrated that way. Yeah. But that doesn't happen nowadays. No, you can't. You can't make a lot of money on it. Of course, some companies do. I guess they sell <laughs> bottled water. But it says in the United States, the prevalence of childhood obesity is about 17%, affecting 12.7 million children and teens. And it's probably higher than that because, they're, you know, how they how they uh, define obesity is, is, you know, I don't know exactly how they're defining that. But but there's uh, that's a real problem. I mean, as you get older, most humans you do have to pay start paying more attention to your diet and such to to not put on pounds. But when you're a kid and you're growing and running about, you know, that that should be pretty rare, but it's getting to be a bigger issue. So if at that age you're already dealing with these problems, you know, what's what are the 20s, 30s, 40s, mm-hmm. 50s going to look like if people get there because yeah. Most of these chronic diseases uh, are traced back to diet and to the obesity. Right, and it's going to get a lot worse. And what's what's ironic is the sports, uh, the athletes are probably not drinking those a lot. They just, you know, are there for the money. So they get healthier and they get <laughs> more money while the, the people watching are getting worse and worse. Yeah, that's right. It, it is kind of funny um, to see. And I don't know that I see it as much as I used to, but to see a very well-conditioned athlete pretending that they really enjoy Coke or something yeah. <laughs> like that. They, they, they couldn't do it and, and be that athlete. Mm-hmm. Uh, they say it's estimated that nearly one in five children and teens aged 6 to 19 are obese. And it's not just an American problem. It's in the U.K. as well. Obesity is estimated to affect about one in every five children there. The World Health Organization has called childhood obesity one of the most serious health challenges of the 21st century. So, um, yeah, it's a real issue and it's real, real difficult. It's funny how and Mr. Armstrong talked about that years ago, how there was a famine really in the U S not of a lack of food, but a lack of uh, nutrients, quality food. Mm-hmm. So you have some third world nations where they don't have enough to eat here. We have too much to eat, but it's not, there's not a lot of value in it. Right. When I came here to the U S and back at home, back in my country, the Philippines, we'd have farmer's market. So you you actually get foods that were produced by farmers themselves or cattle or um, all so- sorts of stuff. But here I was so surprised to see um, all Americans go to the grocery for shopping. That's I that's foreign to me. Hmm. So I'm sure there there are families out there, especially in in the church now, that strive you know to find farmers market and to find organic products. But it seems like most of Americans just go to the grocery shop and buy um, just produce produce that are already processed. Yeah, there's a lot of... Well, they talk about uh, York Marty, and he's on the Trumpet Hour program pretty regularly and, and is a holistic nutritionist and and you know and says, look, if you're going to go to the grocery store, which we, most of us have to, you know, you're, you're best to shop the edges mm-hmm. because as you get into the middle, it's mostly processed things that have been on the shelf for years. There's a story, and I kid you not, this, this hit the news a few weeks ago. A family bought Quaker Oats cereal from Walmart, and they took it home. 
and I think they may have eaten a little bit of it, and they realized, I think it had been on the shelf. They looked at the data. It had been on the shelf for over 20 years. <laughs> I, th- I don't know if I have my numbers exactly right, but it was quite a while, and it was still there, and I, right. somebody just <laughs> never took it off the shelf, yeah. and so... Uh, you know, what is the shelf life of some of these products? Right. Sometimes it it doesn't have a shelf. It, it'll live for, I mean, it doesn't have an <laughs> expiration date. It'll live forever. And uh, that's probably not something we want to put in our bodies. You're right. No, not at all. So when you, you uh, went to grocery stores in the U.S., I mean, were you surprised by the food and what was there? Was it, was it um, you know, you said it was a real culture shock. Um just not having the farmer's markets, but then how about even the stuff that's being sold in the store? It, I was shocked to see how much abundance there is. Like you go to, for example, uh, the cereal aisle, mm. and there's like 30 or 20 different cereals. And it's all like that too in different aisles. There's different products and different variations uh, of, of different stuff. So it's just a big, big uh, place. It's not like that. Uh, in different countries where you have the grocery and then you have clothes like Target or Walmart, Walmart where you could pretty much get any everything that you need. There's a pharmacy there. There's a uh, uh, photo center there. There's a, a clothes section there. There's gadgets there. There's all kinds of food that I've never heard of. So it was it was a cultural shock. <laughs> it's all made out of the same basic product or ingredients, probably, because mm-hmm. right. <laughs> the, the, the process stuff. It it is just uh, they tr- they make it they try to make it look good, but it's um, you know it's doing lots of damage to people's health. So anyway, really interesting uh, just uh, to see some of these issues that are that are occurring with a diet and so forth. Actually, there was a, Tom Brady came out a while ago, and he tries to be a pretty healthy guy at least on some level, and. He came out and said some some things about some. I think it was breakfast cereals, might have been soft drinks too, and mm-hmm. and how bad it was. And he got a lot of a lot of heat for that. Yeah, those companies don't want. So there are some sports stars that'll come out and say, "Yeah, hey, you shouldn't have that," but uh, money talks, and, right? And uh, they don't. the The big companies have deep pockets, and they'll try to keep that quiet. Yeah, that's pretty rare. I actually found a study where um, American consumers impulsively. Uh, spend four hundred fifty dollars a month, and seventy percent of that is food. Mm. So you could see where the that money goes. It even says um, if you account for the entire year of spending that, that's five thousand seven hundred uh, dollars spent mm. on impulse buying. So those are the the chips you find while you're checking out, <laughs> right? And they just get you, and yeah, it's not healthy. Yeah, they always say that you shouldn't go grocery shopping hungry. Mm-hmm. because then you'd start grabbing things and yeah i mean we're 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 sort of in a um we're conditioned to sort of be i don't know what you'd call it like a, a we're like a treat society like i i need a treat of some kind <laughs> yeah you know every day i have to have multiple treats or it's just not a not 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 the right day or mm-hmm. something so yeah well, that's amazing that's a, yeah you look at the economic impact there as well that's quite something um, there's a note here just quickly about how there's a drought expanding across southwestern U.S. We had a little rain here recently, which was good, but uh, there's drought. And, of course, with California, they had their fires last, well, I guess it was in the fall. And then uh, they had the, the mudslides, too, after that. So, But there's still more drought. And uh, one of the main spots is actually in Oklahoma, ground zero for the worst drought conditions in the United States, up in the panhandle, the uh Exceptional drought there is in the Panhandle, 
and uh, it has more than doubled in size in terms of the drought. Mm. So many farmers are relying uh, on uh, groundwater and other things, trying to uh, get their uh, their crops going. So anyway, something to keep an eye on as we head through the summer months because uh, it gets dry and fires can uh, spark mm. up uh, pretty quickly. Um, this uh, next story here is uh, about Russia. You may have heard there was a Kia David program about this a while ago. Their uh, nuclear missile. They they don't pull any punches when they name them. This one's the Satan Two, as if the Satan One wasn't bad enough. Uh, Satan Two nuclear missile again test launched by Russia, as Putin brags of invulnerable arsenal. It's a new intercontinental ballistic missile hailed by Russian President Vladimir Putin as being able to fly over the North or South Poles and strike any target in the world, reportedly uh, was test launched uh, for the second time uh, Friday. And from what I understand about it, it can accelerate when it's in the air. Like it, wow. They can kick on another rocket mm-hmm. or something, and, and so it accelerates at different uh, speeds. Russia's defense ministry released a video purportedly showing the Sarmat ICBM, or the Satan II, blasting off in spectacular fashion there in Russia. And, of course, they're thinking, well, maybe this is timed because America, uh, you know, expelled some diplomats from Russia. Then Russia said they're going to expel American diplomats, and then they launched the Satan II. Uh, Putin said the creation of the new weapon weapons has made NATO's U.S.-led missile defense useless putting an end to what he described as years of Western efforts efforts to sidetrack and weaken Russia. He said, I want to tell all those who have fueled the arms race over the last 15 years, which would be him primarily, so he's talking to himself, I guess, <laughs> sought to win unilateral advantages over Russia, introduced unlawful restrictions and sanctions aimed to contain our country's development. All what you wanted to impede with your policies has now happened, he said. You have failed to contain Russia. So... They launch in the Satan too as a warning to the world. Yeah, that's a direct statement then from him. And whether regardless if it's true or not, or if it could reach, you know, the U.S., it doesn't matter because with his with time, um, he'll find that he'll make that uh, missile possible. So it's this is the direct statement to everyone. It's it's he's not pulling any punches here. Yeah, he. I mean, he even, he said earlier in the statement that. Uh, if you don't believe him, you should. And uh, we have a great booklet at thetrumpet.com on the prophesied prince of Russia. And you really need to see that to get the overview of what's happening in Russia and what they're up to. And even when the Soviet, the former Soviet Union broke apart there in the early 90s, uh, a lot of their uh, uh, engineers that worked on weapons found their way to North Korea. Uh, they were hired by other countries. And... Uh, from you know the reports I've read, they're pretty good. I mean, they they know how to build their weapons. So uh, they uh, they uh, are continuing to build these these new weapons. They have some other ones that they're they're showing off and they're working on as well. And so again, you have to read that booklet on the uh, mm-hmm. prophesied prince of Russia to get an understanding of where it's heading. But uh, you know, I guess whoever's in charge of um, Naming the weapons. You're trying to name it the worst thing <laughs> oh. you could name. It's the Satan's just about it, I guess. Right. Yeah, Putin is a very scary man. I once watched an interview. Um, they were interviewing him, and they, the interviewer asked um, something about the assassination attempts that have been made uh, on him, and this is what he said. 
um, they said those who are destined to be hanged are are not going to drown. Hmm. So this is a very bold man. It's like I'm not gonna be hurt. I I I'm gonna be a great type thing. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. He's he's uh, not short on a bravado. That's for sure. So uh, very fascinating man to watch, and mm-hmm. and of course uh, he's he's very active there in Russia. At the same time, China is becoming much more active as well. Uh, one quick note here is that uh, just in relation to that school shooting a while back there at the uh, Marjorie Stoneman Douglas High School. Now the black students, they say they want to be heard. They uh, they say the Black Lives Matter movement has been addressing gun violence since the murder of Trayvon Martin in 2012. Of course, you have to go back and look at the history of that situation as well. It says, yeah, they said, yet we have never seen this kind of support for our cause, and we surely do not feel the lives or voices of minorities are valued as much as those of our white counterpart. So here you have the young people from uh, this high school come out and make quite a scene about guns and, and have all these protests. But now there's even infighting within the school because now the black students say, hey, how about us? You're not listening to us. You're just listening to the white students. So anyway, it, it, there's no unity even in their anti-gun movement. They're fighting each other. And uh, they just continue to break apart and become more uh, factional. You know, well, the blacks will all go together. The whites will go together. The, all these groups, and, and even in their, their protesting, they have disunity. Right. They're just, I guess, fighting for attention. That's mm-hmm. how it is. So there's protest against the protest. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We appreciate what you're doing, but hey, pay attention to us now. And that's kind of the age that we're in where everybody has to be a special interest group. And mm-hmm. so you've got to make sure people are paying attention to you. Uh, you have a historical note for us on uh, what happened uh, on this day in history, and it relates to a former president of the United States. People will remember this. I think President Reagan was shot. Right. On this day, in March 30, 1981, the 40th president, Ronald Reagan of the U.S., is shot outside a Washington, D.C. hotel by a deranged man named John Hinckley Jr. So what happened was the president had just finished speaking, addressing a labor meeting in that Washington, D.C. hotel, and he was walking with his entourage to his limousine when Hinckley, who was standing among a group of reporters, fired six shots at the president. So Mr. Reagan was shot himself along with along with two of his uh, bodyguards, and there's some interesting story uh, stories after this. So Mr. Reagan was rushed to the hospital, obviously, and the president was shot in the left lung, and the 22 caliber bullet just missed his heart, actually. And normally you would just you know lie down, yeah, but this 70 year old man at that time with a collapsed lung walked himself into the George Washington University Hospital under his own power and uh, he was in good spirits even though he was shot he quipped to his wife he said Nancy quote honey I forgot to duck (laughs) so he was in good spirits he was a fighter and there's also another uh, funny story here in regards to that Um, this is actually from his memoirs within a few minutes after I arrived this is him speaking the room was full of specialists in virtually every medical field. When one of the doctors said they were going to operate on me, I said, quote, I hope you're a Republican. Yeah. <laughs> and then uh, Giordano, uh, the doctor, a liberal Democrat, said, today, Mr. President, we're all, all Republicans. And so after that, the next day, he resumed his, his duties. He actually went to, uh, to work right after. Wow, it's amazing. And so... The man who shot him, 
wasn't actually put in into prison because they were telling them that uh, he was insane and he was playing out this movie that he was obsessed with. So he was just put in into a mental institution, and he was released on August five, two twenty sixteen, for more than after thirty years. Yeah. So this day marks the the day that Mr. Reagan was shot. Yeah, scary moment. I think uh, the videos out there, people can see that and what happened there, and and uh, yeah, but he was in good spirits, and it's I it's nice to see that even though there is political division, obviously in the U.S. at that time to some extent. Uh, you know, people were, they did rally around the president, at least in, in certain situations like that. So it's good to see. We don't see a lot of that today. He was a real, he was a real statesman. He was very good natured and, um, I, you know, had a way of really communicating very well with the public. Uh, it was before the age of Twitter where he actually had to speak to right. people. <laughs> so he was, a, I thought, a pretty good example on a lot of things. Yeah, there's more respect for authority in that age. Definitely there was, mm-hmm. yeah. So that's an interesting note from this day in history. Here's a, a, a quick note before we close today. A uh, This is kind of neat. Um, kind of gets back to talking about archaeology a little bit. <laughs> uh, this is up in Bend, Oregon. A six-year-old girl goes digging in the dirt at her sister's soccer game, and she finds a very ancient fossil. <laughs> so <laughs> as a kid, you know, everybody probably has had a time where they were really into digging and I want to find something and uh, very rarely I never found anything. <laughs> uh, they say Naomi was bored. Uh, six-year-old can stay riveted by her older sister's soccer game only for so long. So she went over to some sage brush by the soccer field, poked around in the dirt and picked up a small rock and something about it swirls reminded her of a movie she had seen. She thought it was a neat looking mm-hmm. rock and uh, they learned that it was uh, a rare uh, fossil. They think it might be 65 million years old. I don't know if it that's the date mm-hmm. on it, but it's very old. What the girl had found was the fossil of an uh, ammonite, I believe that's mm-hmm. how it is, A-M-M-O-N-I-T-E, a sea creature that uh, went the way of the dinosaurs millions of <laughs> years ago. And uh, they, But they don't know how it ended up in Oregon, and it was mm-hmm. just there, and she didn't even have to dig down too far. Uh, a paleontologist at CNN interviewed said that uh, the fossils are uh, common, but not in Bend. In some cases, some extremely rare cases, uh, they can fetch between forty to fifty thousand dollars, depending wow. on, I guess, the way they wow. look. So, I don't know, you know, what this one was, but they say uh, it's not scientifically significant because they do have mm-hmm. a lot of them, but. They think it's uh, very invaluable from the standpoint that it gets uh, kids excited about maybe getting into paleontology or poking around and seeing what you could find. Mm-hmm. So that that one kind of caught my attention because I remember being younger, seeing a show about dinosaurs and going in the backyard and trying to find some dinosaur bones. I didn't find any. <laughs> this girl, she uh, gets bored at a right. soccer game and finds a fossil. Yeah, hopefully it encourages more kids to go out you know, and have fun and be forced to come inside instead of be forced to go outside. Yeah, you never know. And sometimes it's uh, not suggesting you dig huge holes everywhere because <laughs> that could be a problem. Right. But uh, it is amazing what they find. There was actually a story a while ago about uh, some construction workers. I think it was over in UK somewhere, mm-hmm. and uh, they were they were digging under a street to repair something. They found a pot of gold. Wow, a bunch of old gold coins. <laughs> So you never know the different things you can find out there. So kind of a neat story. Uh, I want to mention this weekend coming up here on KPCG and at thetrumpet.com is a new Key of David program, Times of the Gentiles. Your Bible warns of the times of the Gentiles, and world events prove 
you are living during this dangerous period. And uh, if you needed more proof, well, Putin's launching the Satan too. <laughs> so there's a lot going on uh, all over the world, Russia and China and some of those nations. So make sure you check out that Key of David program uh, over the weekend. That's all the time we have for today here on uh, Trumpet Radio Live. Thanks for spending some time with us. For uh, Gino Chi and myself, Dwight Falk, have a great weekend. We'll talk to you again on Monday. Trumpet Radio, 101.3 KPCG.